0: This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. by
1: cross the I'm when I reach
2: Welcome back to the Waco History Podcast. I have uh, brought back uh, my, my co host for the crossroads series um, to uh, as an expert. Uh, he's been out doing research. Rick Tullis has been doing research on an interesting case that he brought to my attention uh, a while back, and was fascinated with it. And so, uh, Rick, well, Stephen, I, uh, I would
0: say when 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 I was doing the research for the Crossroads series, yeah. and, and which was very expansive. I mean, we we had, I know. we had yeah. a lot of topics, yeah, um, to your chagrin, yes. And, um, <laughs> And there were several cases where I'd come across an interesting personality. I'm like, okay, they really don't fit into any any of those episodes in any way. But I'm like, I'm just gonna put a little check mark by that name and maybe come back to that later. And this is one of those. This is an individual um, with a very interesting story, with success and failure and tragedy. Um, I mean, it, it, it's got everything. It's a great story. It's got steampunk kind of, kind of. Uh, <laughs> You know, technology and uh-huh. pushing the envelope of the world. And it happened all here in McLennan County. All right.
2: So and so we're talking about the story of W.D. uh, and the adventures of, you said W.D. stands for what?
0: William Downing. Okay. William Downing Custed.
2: Okay. So who was William Downing Custed? Well,
0: and, and um, something I want to mention first before we... Uh, before we get started and we should maybe add a little bit more to it at the end. Uh, A lot of this information, I found bits and pieces on the internet, some articles, maybe a little bit here and there. Uh, There was a, there was a little uh, booklet put Mm -hmm. together by a guy here locally back in the seventies, I think 1974, Nick Pocock. And uh, so we're going to rely heavily on his, uh, Mm -hmm. his manuscript. He did uh, a lot of that research at the Texas collection uh, Mm -hmm. when I, when I, uh, he gives a lot of credit to the text Collection. And uh, probably you if you'd been there, but you weren't. Yeah, at that I time. was, you I was uh, were, uh, let's uh, you see. Were, you were like
2: six. Yeah, uh, I was learning the alphabet. I okay. Uh, well, you, uh, you uh, would have been a lot uh, of help. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, and, and he's kind of, Pocock's kind of an interesting guy too. We'll maybe do a little list, uh, aside about him at the end. But, yeah, W.D. Custed. Um, Let's set the scene a little bit. Yeah, first. go ahead. Paint okay. A, paint yes. A picture yes. Close there. your eyes a second. Let me take you back to the late uh, 1800s. Um, so, so flight was had not happened, mm-hmm. and the idea of people being able to fly, although we totally take it for granted now. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, it is. It is. Well, we had
2: balloons.
0: There were balloons. Yeah, there were dirigibles, but, but, yeah. But powered flight and motorized, balloons really hadn't been around that long, yeah, honestly.
2: Motorized flight did not powered, exist. Power-controlled flight yeah.
0: was what birds did. hmm And um, th- there wasn't a lot of science around it. Uh, a lot of people uh, tried things. You know, you just think everybody's seen the b- black and whites of people flapping wings and jumping off buildings and crashing horribly. Uh that was real. I mean, people were trying a lot of different, um, uh, ideas and, uh, of course they relied heavily on birds. You know, a lot of, a lot of what they saw birds do, they tried to emulate, um, which is really hard to do with a, a, a machine. You mm-hmm. know, the, the, you know, the birds, uh, have obviously a lot of, uh, control surfaces; they can move and the way they power themselves. I mean, it's just, you can't replicate that with a machine.
2: I remember the old video. A lot of attempts at flapping, trying to create some sort of flapping device. Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. could go airborne. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, which reminds me, being a former comedian yourself, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the old the old punchline. Man, I just flew in from Toledo.
2: And yeah, boy, are my arms tired. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there you go.
0: <laughs> so um, uh, also. Uh, you know the other analogy a lot of people had was of sailing ships. Mm. I mean ships had been around for millennia. Yeah. And water is a fluid and that uh, just like air is a fluid so so a lot of the ideas in fact the, you know the people calling things airships. I mean it's a lot of it's a uh, a connection to a vehicle that people were already familiar with. Um Okay, so we get in the late 1800s. There's there's at least enough technology change. People are honestly trying to make an attempt at um, at flight, mm-hmm. uh, and and as people get closer, there's there's actually uh, a recognition that hey, it would be really good. You know, flight could be a powerful thing, and mm-hmm. and the uh, U.S. government actually um, put out. Uh, they, they they passed a piece of legislation um, to give prize money to the first person uh, or people that could come up with a, a flying machine and you know prove that it works and all that stuff. Okay, so in 1899, the, the Congress actually passed a, uh, a bill appropriating $125,000 for the pursuit of inquiries into practicable flying machines. Mm. Of this appropriation, 100000 of it was to be paid as a prize to the first fortunate inventor uh, whose design is accepted and approved as the most feasible and practicable. Um, And then they had the other money for other things. Because you can obviously think of uh, the advantage in commerce and military and all that stuff. So, you know, and governments have long used uh, incentives like prize money to get the inventive and, and scientific and entrepreneurial communities to come up with uh, you know, new ideas and new things for their, um, uh, for the country.
2: I just did the uh, calculation for you.
0: Oh, I've actually done it, too. Oh, have you really? Tell, me, tell
2: me what you got. $3.7 yeah, yeah, there yeah, you go. Yeah. Both got yeah, the, yeah. So, yeah, that would
0: be a... It's quite a handsome reward. $3.7 yeah. um, In today's dollars, yeah. It, it is, but when you think what it would take to, to create a, f- a flying device... Uh, it's probably a little little light. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's fun to think about uh, in McLennan County. We still get to enjoy kind of this uh, pressing the envelope of flight because we get to hear the rocket tests mm-hmm. at, at uh, um, in McGregor mm-hmm. at SpaceX, SpaceX yeah. who are trying to get to Mars, which is kind yeah. of one of those things that's out there that we have not you know put a person in it, uh, to Mars yet, kind of the next stage of the frontier. So... Uh, it's actually kind of ironic. 125 years later, we've gone from just getting someone in the air to now getting them to Mars. I yeah, mean, that's 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 pretty of, impressive. Kind of crazy to think yeah. about. Yeah. All right. So back to, to JD Custed. Mm-hmm. Um, WD. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. WD. Yeah. Sorry, WD. Yeah. So so he uh, he was um, born in uh, 1867, April 14th, 1867. In Milford, Delaware, to some French parents, uh, his he was a distant or uh, well, I actually don't know how close of a cousin. I tried to find a family tree when I saw uh, that he was connected or, or related a cousin to Buffalo Bill Cody. Oh wow! Yeah, hmm. uh, the only thing I found was uh, uh, Buffalo Bill Cody had about twelve kids. So uh, your 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 odds of being related <laughs> we're all related or, to or, Buffalo. Or, Bill or, Bill or, Bill. I'm sorry, his dad had twelve kids. Okay. So. Uh, odds of being related were were pretty high um uh and and he ended up uh in Elmont Texas yeah he was born in 1867 uh Elmont was was uh, established in 1867 yeah. um, as well but then later on he uh, is a as an employee of the railroad mm. uh ends up as a dispatcher for the Katy railway in uh, uh About eighteen ninety six ish or so. Okay. So uh, he he was part. He was a member of the Brotherhood of Telegraphers. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So he's at the cutting edge of technology himself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you think about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Railway railroads and uh, uh, communication telegraphs. Um. Of of note, uh, and this was is uh, brought up in Pocock's book. Uh. That's right about um, the time that the crash at Crush happened, and September it was
2: September fifteenth,
0: and it was between Elmont and eighteen ninety
2: six with the Katy Railroad. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, yep,
2: that's a great episode of the Waco History Podcast. Yeah. go check that out.
0: Yeah. So, uh, it, big national event. He he certainly would have seen there, been part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have. I would guess so. <clears throat> So around 1897, uh, I guess Custed, at least as far as we know, I mean he didn't didn't keep great records. We don't really have a diary, so a lot of this is, a lot of this information is pieced together. But he started fooling around and building models of a uh, of of, an, of his version of an airship, mm. and uh, people start kind of. There are witnesses that saw what was going on in Elmont, you know. So so uh, there, there is proof, I guess, witness proof that. So he has a workshop. Some of this is
2: out there in Elmont that he's yeah tinkering he's, away at. He's using yeah. a shed, not too okay. far from the railroad. Okay. Um,
0: maybe even been been a railroad shed that he was building this thing and and his design. I guess let me let me try to describe it for you because that that'll help our our listeners understand at least what was going on in his mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a little this goes back to what I was saying a minute ago. The a lot of these inventors, inventors were taking things they knew and trying to extrapolate them into the next thing, mm-hmm. right? So, his airship, uh, basically, if you looked at a drawing of him, and he, and he did submit patents, and we'll get to that in a minute. Mm. I mean, he did go to DC and mm-hmm. do his, you know, part to try to try to get the prize. Uh, I, I would say it, it looks a little bit like an oversized canoe. Um, so think of that shape mm-hmm. with uh, four large bladed paddles on, on each side. Okay, and uh, you know, f- fan like I think think of some when wafting a big fan. Okay. Uh, on you, um, which <coughs> um, I'm sure at home happens for you all the time. You it does, and it didn't work, Yeah, are yeah. Care of you. Mm-hmm. So uh, those things hanging off the side of the holes. And he had a mechanism that he could connect to a motor of some sort. And we'll talk about the different motor technologies at the time. But uh, that would drive the, these gears and linkages and and coordinate the flapping of these big, big fans. Okay. And that would uh, generate the lift to raise the canoe-like fuselage off the ground. Okay. And, you know, he claimed then by... Speeding up or slowing down the flapping on either side, you could control directionally where you're going or the speed. Uh, you could take the a left by kind right. of
2: slowing down one side, speeding up another side. I see. Yep. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and that was the idea. And, and it talked in there too of uh, creating a little bit of buoyance in the canoe like structure by adding some bags of uh, helium or hydrogen, um, mm. which, which would reduce your power requirements obviously to get off the ground. Okay. Um, so apparently he constructed some models and got them to kind of fly around a little bit, so then then went to... Oh wait,
2: hold on. Did he get them to fly around? Do we have, like, eyewitnesses of people saying they saw these things flying around, these models? Yeah, so, yeah.
0: Uh, well, the... the um, yeah, the, there were... He, he was not too far from the elementary school, or the, the school. Okay. So the kids... <laughs> Uh, no, my, so the, the, the there were later on, uh, the author, uh, and some other people went back and, and, uh, uh, interviewed some of those eyewitnesses out at recess and what they would see yeah, at recess. Yeah, I mean, after school was out, you'd go yeah. see what the crazy guy was doing in the shed. <laughs> and, um, and they talked about, it. they talked about, yeah, you know, this thing started flapping and it, it was, it was held down by, by ropes that were connected to, um, some scales so he could measure his lift Ah. and this thing would, you know, fly up and pull against the ropes. And, uh, yeah, there were several people that, that, uh, you know, said they saw that happen. Mm. So, um, and so those would have been the, the smaller ones. So, uh, he, he decides to, to, uh, go full scale. Um, and so let me read a little bit. There's a here's an article that that came out uh, from the Fairfield Recorder. A, uh,
2: yeah, most most big stories are broken
0: <laughs> <the> Fairfield <laughs> Reporter. <clears throat> um, and so I'll just a uh, little excerpt there. W. D. Custed, who went to Washington several weeks ago to submit his invention solving the problem of aerial navigation, for consideration. To, uh, for the consideration of the Board of Ordinance and Fortifications of the War Department, returned to his home at Elmont, McLennan County, bringing with him the highest com- commendation of those who had investigated his invention. So so he goes to D.C., says, hey, here's this invention, um, and I've, I've been successful. I, I'm pretty sure, you know, usually at that point, you know, to... You would submit a patent mm-hmm. um, with your plans, and usually they required some kind of model. In fact, if, if you go, uh, you know, if you're in D.C. and you go to, like, the American History Museum or something like that, you can see a lot of these old models of some of these cool inventions. Mm-hmm. Uh, best I could tell, none of, none of his survived. So
2: so when was this, Rick? When does he go to – do you have a sense of when he goes to D.C.
0: to try? Well, th- this, this yeah. article was written February 17th, 1899. Okay, okay. Um, so it said two weeks before then, so mm-hmm. january of ninety nine mm-hmm. and to give some perspective here too uh the Wright brothers are credited with the first controlled flight in nineteen o three so you know we're roughly four years ahead of mm-hmm. uh, ahead of them and, and there's there's a whole controversy there with the Wright brothers, which mm-hmm. um, uh you know there 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 are many people who claim to have flown before them yeah and, and there's some nuances and 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 uh, to that discussion, but but back to Custed. Yeah. So our local hero here. Um, <clears throat> so in speaking uh, on the subject, Mister Custed said, "Every hope and every expectation I had when I left Texas three weeks ago has been realized and confirmed by both the War Department and by the Patent Office. I was assured that my idea, as shown in my invention, was distinctly original and in addition." It was pronounced to be the key to success in the achievement of practical aerial navigation. Hmm. Wow, he's not overselling it. No, well, maybe a little. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so, um, the article goes on. They uh, uh, they described in the article, uh, and, I'll, and I'll I'll do this again. Uh, the the actual device, and uh, so it says, and this is a quote of Custad describing his his de- his. Uh, Invention, the principle involved in my machine is a combination of balloon, bird wing, and aeroplane, as applied. However, as to conflict with no particular or any other device on record, so it was a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. Even now, you don't want if you Mm -hmm. copy somebody else's patents, that can be a big deal. Um, Yeah, so the hull is semi cigar or canoe shaped, pointed at both ends, um, and can be made of any desired size. My Mm. ship is that. Uh, my idea is that if my invention is adopted, the airships will be made of many and varying sizes, some being as large as ocean liners and fitted with every comfort for travel as our ocean going vessels today. It is practical to do this with my invention. The hull is entirely enclosed and covered. And with the exception of cabin space in the center for the occupancy of the operator and passengers forms a reservoir for which, uh, Uh, reservoir, which is filled with uh, hydrogen gas, the lightest gas known, in order to reduce the weight and maintain the equilibrium as the matter of safety in case of an accident. Mm. (laughs) Of course, we know today that accidents with hydrogen uh, have (laughs) other outcomes, but uh, that's all right. I mean, Mm -hmm. the propelling power consists of any number of series of blades or wings uh, operated f- uh, from each upper side of the machine and connected in such a manner that the mechanisms of the motor that they offer absolutely no resistance to the air currents in their upward and forward motion. Um, the machine is under uh, direct control of the operator as to elevation and steering, is positive and safe in its actions and operation, and is admitted and pronounced um Uh, by the most advanced students in aero navigation to be the first and only practical solution of this problem that has ever been made. Wow. Yeah. 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 So I I think back to that water paradigm, think about, you know, Mm -hmm. when you teach your kids to swim or when we swim, right? You, if you're doing something like a breaststroke, you know, you, you keep your, your, your hands flat as you're pushing it forward through the water. And then when you're, you know, making your stroke, you you turn your hands to get as much water as you can to push back off of. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine that's how his little flapping wings were working, right? Mm-hmm. They were going up and then pushing back. back yeah, you know? Like a paddle. Right. Like a paddle. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Scientifically, there's a few challenges there, mm-hmm. right? I mean, water and air don't act exactly the same. Uh, water uh, water's incompressible, so you, as much as you push against it, you have a much firmer surface where air is a compressible surface and much less dense, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of his, some of the physics don't work out quite the same. Mm-hmm. I think which ended up being part of his, his challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so he ends up um, finding uh, some, some local folks to invest in his picture. Yeah, that's,
2: that's what I wondered. I mean, you know, he's got to have patrons, right? I yeah. mean, because this is, if he's going to build this full size, uh, it's gonna cost some money.
0: Yeah, 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 and uh, yeah, yeah. Speaking of money, um, you know, a lot of the 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 internal combustion engine was like super new mm-hmm. right then too. I mean, it was that yeah. was cutting edge. Yeah. Uh, still, steam power was steam engines were the the thing of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you know, firing a steam engine inside of an airship was not gonna really work out too good for you. I mean, very heavy. Now something really hot, uh, you know, lots of, lots of challenges there. But uh, I, I thought this was interesting. He wrote, uh, there are many motors available of, very, uh, of various prices and power in proportion to weight. But I am of the opinion that a gasoline motor manufactured by the St. Louis Gasoline Motor Company weighing 25 pounds per horsepower hmm. and costing less than $200 for a two-horsepower motor would uh, prove sufficiently satisfactory for operating my first machine. Oh my gosh! So, it,
2: it, what I mean? Do we know total horse horsepower? He's one. I mean, does that suggest he's
0: you say, he's thinking all yeah, he needs is two horsepower. two horsepower to, to two, two, yeah, two horsepower. I mean, yeah. what's your lawnmower? <laughs> yeah. yeah, mine's four, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, 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 I mean, not not mm-hmm. not very much. And then you think of the weight mm-hmm. and again, the, the internal combustion engine was kind of early in its design phases too, but 25 pounds per horsepower. So I, I looked up what a modern aircraft engine yeah. for a, a, a propeller driven, uh, um, uh, combustion internal combustion engine. So I was finding things along the lines of 1.8 to two, two pounds per horsepower, not 25 pounds per horsepower. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, Interesting. It, yeah, it, and when uh, when you look at what the Wright brothers did, that that was the key to their flight. They mm-hmm. finally got a gasoline powered engine to, to that uh, powered their propellers, their early propellers. That was what enabled them to get off the ground. So, mm-hmm. kind of the uh, intersection of a couple different technologies making it making it feasible. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, but we were we were mentioning something about his. His uh, venture, so he ends up creating something called the Custed Airship Company, and he he raises a uh, hundred thousand dollars in stock, hmm. um, sells it to a lot of, of local folks, and you know here were, he had, uh, just like any corporation, um, uh, it, it needed officers and directors. So, uh, th- it was formed in, uh, April 12th, 1900 capital stock being a hundred thousand dollars. So he was the president, uh, a guy named, um, CM Curry, vice president, EG Irwin, secretary treasurer, uh, George Clark was the council. So George Clark is an interesting character in Waco history as well. Uh, he could have fit in maybe some of our earlier podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, uh, uh, at that time, he was age fifty nine, and he was the president of the Waco Gas Company. Mm. And uh, he also had helped uh, organize the first national bank. He had also been a prominent uh, railroad attorney. He ran for governor and okay, okay. was not successful. So we talked earlier about the kind of the Waco being a political center for Texas. A crossroads, I think, is what w- the term we used. Crossroads yeah, is yeah, a good way yeah, to describe yeah. it. And uh, but he was defeated was still ended up being secretary of state of Texas. Um, So very accomplished man. So Mm -hmm. if you're going to build something and you want to get people that, uh, uh, well, you want to raise money, but you want to be more considered not a a fluke or a quack. Yeah. You get some prominent people uh, involved with your organization. So uh, that's obviously what he did. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the other people, uh, Charles Hamilton, Hamilton was a, uh, general manager for the Texas Central Railroad so some of his buddies in the railroad business and uh, another guy uh, was a uh, mentioned Charles Curry attorney here in, in Texas or in, in Waco um, yep so so he kind of built his his team yeah,
2: and uh, you sh- I, I see the letterhead you have there um, that he used um, it's got the rendering of his flying machine uh, there at the top of the letterhead yeah, yeah well, or airship sorry right yeah. you yeah. know
0: you know um, well and to be totally accurate mm-hmm. an ornithopter ah that's what it's called an ornithopter right yeah so uh, if, if uh, ornithopters are flying machines that mimic the flight of birds oh, okay in some way okay yeah if, in fact it, if you googled it yeah uh, and pulled up ornithopter, uh, there are several flying versions now, like little model versions, you know, mm-hmm. you, if you ever, you can, it, even even some how to videos on how to build one and, you know, wind it up with a rubber band and let it go. And it flaps around the room. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really cool. But, um, yeah. yeah so those are ornithopters. Hmm. Interesting. Now he probably didn't have that word at the time. Yeah. So that, that's more of, of, uh, our modern way of discussing it. So he, uh, uh, his big um, claim to fame was flying this, uh, the flying version, the larger flying version, flying it from Elmont to Tokyo, Tokyo, okay. Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it took me a second,
2: but I realized you were saying Tokyo, Texas, yeah, and back
0: yeah. to, um, and and back to uh, Elmont. Okay, and he claims that that uh, that flight um, would have been the first you know powered manned flight mm-hmm. uh, again that's before so how far is that the that is a, that's quite a flight yeah uh, if, if you look at close. it's about it's yeah. it's about a, i think a mile or so from elmont okay. so if you um, so the railroads they're used and you There may still be a rail line that runs that direction. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't think there is. I think there's still the rail line that runs kind of parallel to Mm I-35 for a while up past through West, Um, but there at Elmont, there you know just past that, there was a switch and one of them kind of went up towards Tokyo. Okay, Uh, that's
2: T O K K I O. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. So uh, in in another article, now this was written a little bit later Mm -hmm. in 1949. Someone. Uh, locally had gone back. In fact, this was printed, printed in the Waco Tribune Herald. Um, and so it says six years before Orville and Wilbur Wright lifted their plane off the field at Kitty Hawk in 1903, a quiet little Frenchman, a ticket agent uh, for the Katy Railroad, Road, W.D. Custed by name, flew a plane of his own design from Elmont to Tokyo, McLennan County, Tokyo, and back a distance of about five miles. So that 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 answers our question of, mm. uh, that round trip distance. But that
2: date doesn't work with the rest of the timeline, right? I mean, that would have been 18, 1897 and that's before. So anyway, before he had a full size, mm. suppose they had a full size right, uh, right. rig, right? Yeah. yeah.
0: So, so there's definitely some challenges mm-hmm. here. And this may be one of the reasons he wasn't fully, mm-hmm. uh, believed as, mm-hmm. as the, uh, as a, you know, the first inventor of a manned flight. Um, and, and the article goes on and kind of you know gives more detail around uh, what happened and and uh, some other people he uh, introduced into the the process. Like he originally started with a bamboo structure for the fuselage, huh. but, but that was too heavy. So then he employed one of the local bicycle shops. So bicycles were a thing back then, right? They mm-hmm. were they, that was a a, a a you know cutting edge of technology. So he had these bike shops and these uh, guys in there who knew how to make frames out of tubular steel. And so that that was his next uh, rendition was the, a tubular steel model that could hold up more. Because you imagine with the flapping wings, you got a lot of forces oh, yeah. acting that could tear something up pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he, he uh, uh, eventually, uh, you know... I guess didn't make the progress he wanted to make re- realized that the engine part was, uh, I think a huge part of being successful. Yeah. He, he did. He thought his concept was sound that mm-hmm. the canoe, the flapping wing canoe was a sound. So
2: the design was good, but he needed to refine the, the right. power. I source. just, yeah. I got to get,
0: I got to get the power source. Mm-hmm. So he ends up hooking up with a guy named Gustav Whitehead mm. uh, up in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Now, uh, if you if you dive into Gustav's history, I mean, he was a legitimate uh, contender for first in flight, mm-hmm. and ended up doing some things. He he was building things that looked more like a modern airplane. They had wings and a tail. Um, uh, you know, again, probably you know has some recorded uh, successes that that probably put him close. And some people argue. To, to be the first in flight, but he goes up there to join forces with him, mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, Whitehead. Uh, I think my guess would be mainly because of his engine technology and, uh, helping him figure it out. So they worked together, um, for a while and, um, it, it kind of it, there, there's some articles that talk about their partnership. Uh, in fact, there's one in the, in the, uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut, uh, uh, newspaper that says with, uh, and i quote, uh, with the purpose in view of perfecting a flying machine that will solve the problem of aerial navigation to the point of commercial success, Gustav Whitehead of this city and WD Custed of Waco, Texas have formed a partnership. Both men are inventors. And then it goes on to describe, um, you know, what they've done and what they've flown and says, you know, Mr. Whitehead last Tuesday night with two assistants, Took his machine to a long field in the back of Fairfield, and the inventor, for the first time, flew in his machine for half a mile. Hmm. Um, again, so that's uh, uh, you know that was 1901, August mm-hmm. 19th, 1901 is when this article came out. Um, so s- some people say, well, Gustav might have been the first one to fly. Now it doesn't really uh, it took talks a little bit about more their their partnership Mr. Custed is backed by several Texas and southern capitalists for the manufacture of the new airship the company is capitalized at 100,000 dollars Mr. Custed is now in New York the good points of both inventors flying machines will be included in the new machine in this combination um, of a new engine that describes you know will produce you know so there's this kind of hope it'll produce the right deal uh, and then the and then the story kind of it kind of mm. dies. So Custed's up in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got this partnership with. So he's relocated up there. He's yeah, his yeah. family's still here. Okay, he left okay. them here to go up there to work on this thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's actually um, nothing else that, at least in the public record, that talks about this partnership. Now, in 1904, uh, Custed does apply for some more patents relating to variable speed mechanisms. And shows himself to be a resident of New York. uh, And it's not really discussed how those were applied, if he had still had a machine he was trying to do or not. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, uh, the, the, the footnote is here, sadly, Custed's family back in Elmont did not see him again and only heard of him occasionally over the years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what was in the mind of the man, but yeah. uh, it sounds like he went up there. Things didn't really work out the way he expected. And um, it, it, it kind of went into a spiral of despair or something. I, I don't know. You also got to realize he's he talking about these patents in 04 mm-hmm. and 05. Al- although the Wright brothers flew in 03, it wasn't immediately known that they had been successful. In fact, it wouldn't even immediately recognize that they were the first in flight. Yeah. Uh, th- there was actually a, a pretty, uh, lively competition going on with them. And a, f- a gentleman named Langley, who was the head of the Smithsonian mm-hmm. there in DC and he was trying to fly his own machine. And the, the, the Smithsonian had a hard time recognizing the Wright brothers, uh, as, as the first in flight. In fact, a little, a little aside. Uh, it wasn't until many years, a couple decades later, when they really wanted to get the right flyer, mm-hmm. the first in flight. Which, if you, you can if you go to see. the Airspace Museum, you can see it today. Yeah. And um, the the only way they, that that was going to happen, uh, because uh, I think Wilbur had died. Mm-hmm. I think Orville was the only one alive, or maybe it's the other way around. Gosh. Uh, but whichever one was still alive said, yeah, the only way you're getting it is if you publicly recognize us as the first in flight. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, so that's when the Smithsonian finally, finally did, uh, the Wright brothers had claimed that, you know, we were the first to fly. So we own the patent for flying. So later on, as other inventors created flying machines, um, you know, they would sue them for, you know, for, uh, Copyright infringement, yeah, infringing their patent. Mm-hmm. So they owned flight. You know that was <laughs> the hope. Uh, of course, that didn't. Um, after a lot of legal battles, they, they lost that battle. So,
2: so what happened to Custer? Well. I, it, so as I think about it historically, you know, who gets claimed to be the inventor of something? Right. I mean, it seems the most important technology here is the video, the, the ability to capture capture visual images. Yeah. Out of all this story, that's the most important technology because it's the documentation of the Wright's flight. Yeah. That In Kitty you know, allows them yeah. to do the mic drop on 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 who did it first? It's that documentation of the flight, yeah, at Kitty Hawk that we've all seen, yeah. So yeah, so I mean, they can people can say whatever they want, but I mean, this idea of there is a way to document it now, yeah, where there wouldn't have been uh, fifty years earlier, right? And and even
0: with um, eyewitnesses, Mm -hmm. you know, that the credibility kind of goes away. I mean, you're you're only credible as an eyewitness if someone knows you and trusts you. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you get outside of your. Your circle of relationships. Yeah. Where you're like, yeah, they could say anything, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um. Well,
2: uh, yeah. When does Custed re-enter the historical record? Well, I and mean, what happens? Yeah. yeah. So, so this is interesting.
0: Yeah. There's a a, a big, um, like I said, he kind of goes dark for a while. Mm-hmm. The, there, there's a few um, breadcrumbs along the way. So in uh, 1911, or 1919, he was issued a passport uh, to go to Panama for the object of recreation. Hmm. So he was 52 years old, um, yeah, and uh, they, they issued him that passport. And then in 21, he was issued, or his passport, passport was renewed in San Francisco. Um, don't know where he went uh, after that one. And, uh, uh, and then actually, uh, again... Uh, it was examined or his passport was examined in New Orleans. So he left San Francisco to go somewhere and then came back into the port of New Orleans. Hmm. Uh, But his last days were spent in Hawaii. Huh?
2: So he did not, he did not fly his own plane. He did
0: not. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is a, you know, in the 1930s, I mean, I guess he could have taken a commercial plane probably. He he could have taken a commercial flight to Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you think about some of these time frames and yeah. it's crazy I mean 19, 1899 nobody's flying mm-hmm. by even in the Waco history um, uh, annals you know in uh, 1917 we get a we get mm-hmm. an airfield yeah and they're training pilots to go f- fly combat mm-hmm. in in uh, Europe so yeah. 17 18 years later I mean mm-hmm. that's not even a generation I guess. Mean, that's just a few years, seemingly, yeah. and uh, um. So yeah, the progress of flight has been crazy fast. Well, back to our our uh, our gentleman, Mister Custed. So this would have been um, March seventeenth, nineteen thirty-three. This shows up in a uh, newspaper, the Honolulu Star Bulletin, uh, and and the the uh, title is going to give it away hermit found dead in shack oh no oh gosh <laughs> why is that funny well i'm just
2: saying i mean that's just kind of a sad uh that's a sad uh, headline yeah i mean yeah uh, no nobody aspires to that so yeah. yeah
0: so it reads uh the hermit of nanakulai so he, he was oh, wow. he had his oh, He had a A, a, a title yeah he was the hermit and, of nanakulai wow William D. Custad, 62, was found dead in the shack near Sunset Camp near Nanakulai Beach. Friday, according to this police report, death resulted from natural causes. The body was found by uh, Mrs. Violet Jones, uh, of it gives her address, you know, um, when she found he had not been reading newspapers delivered to his door and decided to investigate. Hostile to Visitors Mr. Custed had lived a life of almost absolute seclusion. He wore no clothing when at home, and only infrequently made trips to a nearby grocery store to purchase provisions. Most of his food was produced himself, raising chickens and vegetables. Hmm. Food-filled the pots found on the stove led to the belief that Mr. Custed was preparing dinner when he died. Papers found in the shack indicated that uh, Mr. Custed had invested in a considerable amount of money in stocks. Hmm. Oh. Okay. So maybe there's mm-hmm. there's a, a backstory there. Yeah. Three sons are said to be living on the mainland. Um. Yeah. Then then it goes on to tell which uh, mortuary they sent him to. So. Yeah. Um, now,
2: now these would have been sons from.
0: In back in back in Waco.
2: Back in Waco or Elmont. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Um. So why did he spend his last years in seclusion. Who knows? Was it bitter that his success didn't come through? Uh, did he end up finding success somewhere else and the stock market crash put him mm. into seclusion? I mean, there's yeah. was, there was a lot of uh, horrible stories along those lines. Um, so who knows?
2: Um, yeah.
0: Was, uh, was our author in the 70s
2: uh, that he was able to track anybody down from the family?
0: Yeah, yeah, he interviewed okay. his son, okay, uh, one of his sons who, who uh, recalled being a kid and sitting in the you know in the in the machine, okay. while it was flying around. He okay. would have been at six years old or something like that. Mm. So, uh, uh, but but Pocock, the author, you know, he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I did find some people to interview. I mean, it's it's 1970s, you know, yeah, and that was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I don't discount them, but the memory has a strange, you know, mm-hmm. memories can be strange. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, in fact, he, he actually has a little bit of a, uh, he keeps a summary of his eyewitness reports are in the back of his book. And, uh, um, yeah. Talk talks about, um, you know, what evidence he, he could find. I mean, at that time, You know, the the shack that he built it in wasn't standing anymore. I mean, Mm -hmm. things had changed so much. Uh, There there was hard – it was almost impossible to find um, uh, physical evidence at that point. And there were no photographs. I mean, I would say that, uh, of course, we live in a day and age where we have too many photographs of everything. Of course. Uh, Yeah. But uh, at that time, um, yeah, you you, – Get, having a camera was a special thing. I mean, it was professionals did that kind of stuff. And I guess for whatever reason, he never thought to mm. have someone come out and photograph his flying machine. Hmm.
2: One selfie would have settled. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: He should have worked on uh, the iPhone first and mm-hmm. then done the airship.
2: Yeah. So what, so do you believe it? I guess I'll ask you since you've done research. Okay. And well, looked it, that, that's I mean, a good question. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, you know, I I, uh, I actually got into engineering mm-hmm. because of my um, fondness of aeronautics and flight. Mm-hmm. So that's one reason I, I was uh, drawn to this story a little bit. And I, I would say based on, on what we know now about the modern uh, physics of flight and what it takes, uh, yeah, his, his, his device really didn't have a chance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it... Um, Maybe in a toy-like sense, mm-hmm. like like I mentioned before, you can go look at an ornithopter online and see it see it kind of flutter around, and it's really cool. But you're not going to build that to scale, sure, and put people in it yeah. and fly across the ocean. Yeah, um, and I'd say the same thing here. Yeah. It, it just the the physics were not going to lend themselves to success. Mm-hmm. I mean, e- even today, I mean, there's only a few. Uh, you know, he's talking about flapping wings to generate lift. I mean, there's only a few airplanes now that'll even have variable swept wings that are, you know, successfully, uh, flown like the B one bomber, mm-hmm. stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's very rare. I mean, everything is fixed, fixed wing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even those with variable swept wings, I mean, they're still considered a fixed wing. They just are able to reconfigure, um, so, yeah, I, I don't think he had a viable shot at it. Hmm. Hmm. But I'm glad he tried, and he tried yeah. here in, in, in McLennan County. It's an County. inspiration awesome. to all of us. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe not the end part, but, <laughs> the, but the beginning yeah. of the story is an inspiration to all of us.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so the, the author, Mr. Pocock, mm-hmm. uh, Nick Pocock, he was actually born in London, England, and was an aviation enthusiast. He actually did uh, quite a bit of flying himself. Uh, He he learned to fly at the London Aeroplane Club and then flew as uh, an Air Force volunteer, Royal Air Force Volunteer Reserve. So after completing his engineering studies, um, he continued to fly, and it actually ended up leading uh, him to a job here in Waco. I think he worked uh, at uh, TSTC um, and uh, was an instructor out there. Hmm. So that's what, what Brian DeWaco. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and uh, he was a member of the Institution of Mechanical Engineers, American Aviation Historical Society, Experimental Aircraft Association, and they lived on a farm here in Central Texas. So hmm. uh, I think it's really cool that he, I mean, thankfully, he back then, you know, was able to pull together the information he did to, to tell this story.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm glad that he did. And, and Rick, I'm glad that you uh, chased this rabbit. This has yeah. been interesting to get into. It's a very unique into. story. You know, as we sat here on the uh, 21st floor of the Alico building, I haven't seen anything fly by <laughs> uh, that looked like a large flapping canoe. Yeah. But yeah.
0: Uh, We're, yeah. there are, we, we you know, you can look now out on the Brazos. There may be some guy, canoers out there. Well, and Battle if boarders. they got up to speed, yeah, who yeah. knows what yeah, could yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. You bet. A lot of fun.
1: Brazos and waco, right make
0: it by thanks for listening to the waco history podcast like what you heard subscribe rate and review our show on itunes so we can reach more listeners you can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on waco's past at wacohistory.org our theme music used with permission is cross the brazos at waco performed by the late billy walker For more info on Billy's music, go to BillyWalker.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.